Well, it's good to be with you and uh, to see so many new faces. Um, I was last year before the lockdown, and um, you know, I thank God that um, He's been you know with you and that He's kept you going. Well, let's um, look at the scriptures together. We're going to read together Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Psalm 103. <coughs> Psalm 103 and verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. <laughs> who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. <coughs> the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of men. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. <coughs> as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. May God bless his word you know, to us as we meditate upon that um, passage now. Um, <clears throat> this is a psalm of David, and um, I'm sure in your Bible, this will tell you so anyway, at the top of your Bible, that this is a psalm of David. And David wrote this psalm when he was old, in his latter years, he wrote this psalm. David looks back you know, over his life, and he reflects on his life, and he was overwhelmed you know, with God's gracious dealings with him. And he comes and he acknowledges, you know, God's infinite mercies, you know, to him and all, and he pours out praise unto God. The psalm is all about praise. It's all about praise, you know, to God. And here, you know, David speaks to himself. Says, bless the Lord, O my soul. He speaks to himself. And in speaking to himself, he stirs himself up his inmost being. That is all that is within him, he says. That is his soul, you know, his heart, you know, his uh, mind. And all things to bless the Lord. Why? Why is David so taken up? Why is he so... Um, why is he so taken up, you know, with um, you know this blessing of God? It's because of what God has done for him, because of God's gracious dealings with him, all the benefits that God has poured out on him, and he wants to acknowledge that, and he wants to really, um, you know, praise God, you know, for it. 
And so he tells us in verse 2, you know, not to forget the benefits of what he speaks to himself first and foremost, not to forget all the benefits that God has lavished on him. He tells himself, you know, to remember, you know, all of God's benefits. We will do well to emulate David. You and I will do well to do exactly as David, you know, does here in, the, in our text, to remember all of God's gracious dealings, you know, with us and to praise God, you know, for them. God is not slow to bless us, but we are very, very slow in returning, you know, thanks and praise to God. Now, David, you know, tells us of some of these benefits that God has lavished on him. It is not exhaustive by any chance, but he, you know, he mentions, you know, some of these benefits that God has lavished on him. And it would be good for us to look at those benefits together uh, this morning. And the first thing that David tells us that God has lavished on him, you know, is the forgiveness of sins. He tells us there, you know, in verse 3, he forgives all your iniquities. God has forgiven him all his iniquities, just as God has forgiven us our iniquities if we are Christians. That is, if we have truly repented of our sins and put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation, then, you know, God forgives us, you know, for all of our sins. This is the first and the greatest gift in that God has, you know, bestowed upon us. In the order of our spiritual blessings, the forgiveness of sins, you know, comes first. Without the forgiveness of sins, we are separated from God. And um, separation, that separation, if it lasts it, you know, um, till we die, it will end up in hell. And so with forgiveness of sin, we are restored into fellowship with God. And forgiveness you know, of sin you know, is the door to all other benefits that you and I enjoy. Without the forgiveness of sins, without that reconciliation <coughs> to God, you and I will not enjoy some of the other benefits that David you know, talks about. There's a sense in which we all enjoy you know, the benefits of God, something we call you know, common grace. And God, you know, uh, God's moral, you know, um, God's moral, um, you know, um, benefits to all of us that we enjoy. But you know, we're talking specifically here of the benefits that those who know God enjoy, and one of them is the forgiveness of sin. The forgiveness of sin. Without it, we will not have any other benefits as such spiritual benefits, you know, from God. This is why forgiveness of sin is the most important among the blessings that God has lavished on us. Every other blessing that we enjoy comes you know, to us you know, because you know, God has freely you know, pardoned our sins. God has freely pardoned our sins. The pardon, in turn, is because the Lord Jesus Christ you know, has come and has died you know, to save us you know, from our sins. So we could say that every blessing that you and I enjoy, you know, comes to us because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, the psalmist, you know, tells us a bit more about this, um, you know, forgiveness of sins. It tells us in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has it removed our transgressions from us. Now, if you travel due east, I'm told, 
you just keep going and you'll never, never, you know, meet the worst. That's how far God has removed, you know, our sins, you know, from us. That uh, distance, you cannot calculate it. And if sin is removed that far, we will be sure, you know, that um, there will be no trace of those things anymore. That those sins will not rise up to condemn us before God anymore. And the rest of the Bible speaks about um, that same, you know, um, that, that same thing, that God removes our sins, you know, far from us. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12 says, He remembers them no more. Not that there's something wrong with God's memory. God chose not to remember our sins because Christ has died. His blood has cleansed us from our sins. And so God does not see those sins anymore. God does not remember those sins anymore. Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 17 tells us, says, you have cast all you know, my sins behind your back. So God does not see them anymore. Again, Isaiah in chapter 43 and verse 25 says, I, I am he who blots out all your transgressions for my sake, and I will not remember your sins. Amazing. God's forgiveness implies, you know, full pardon. 1 John, um, uh, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, you know, says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not some of our sins, not a few of them, but all of them. You know, God, you know, forgives us all of our sins. And there's so much to rejoice about. No wonder, you know, David is beside himself. No wonder he's overwhelmed. You know, when he thinks about these things, he's overwhelmed and he stirs himself up, you know, to pour out praise unto God. Psalm 32, you know, tells us and says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. As Christians, we are truly blessed. God has not dealt with us as we deserve, as it says in verse 10. God has dealt not punished us according to our iniquities. God has had mercy upon us and has freely you know, pardoned our sins. And because God has forgiven our sins, as Christians, we have peace with God. We are not troubled anymore. We are not worried about death and things like that anymore because God has forgiven us for our sins. We know exactly where we are going. We're not groping in the dark anymore. We know exactly where we are going, and Scripture is full of it. I can't go into all of that now. But, you know, we are assured, we are assured of where we are going. God's controversy with us has ended. And so we now enjoy God's favor, and we have access, you know, unto God. Our future is guaranteed. Our future is guaranteed. Now, if David, you know, could say that because he really um, appreciates what God has done for him, let me ask you, do you ever think about what God has done for you? Do you ever pause to think about the fact that, you know, God has forgiven your sin if you're a Christian this morning? You think about what that means. It means you will never go to hell. You have peace, you have joy, 
You have a purpose in life. You know, you, you, have, you, know, you are fulfilled in this life, and so on and so forth. Do you ever think about those things that God has done for you? Often we take so much for granted. And this is the problem with us. We take so much for granted, but not David. Not David. David reflects on his life and he's, you know, he sees that God has really blessed him you know, tremendously. And he stirs himself up. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, he says, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He comes and he pours out praise unto God because of all that God has done for him. You know, if a man commits a very hideous crime and he goes to prison, he goes before the judge and the judge says, oh, what you've done is really, really bad. I sentence you to 50 years in jail. There's hope for that man. That man would, you know, gradually count down, you know, to the day when the key will rattle in the door and the guard will open the door and say, you can go, you're free to go. You're free to go. The greatest tragedy that can befall a man is to die without Christ. To die without their sins being forgiven. That is the greatest tragedy that can befall anyone. And so David appreciates the fact that you know, God has dealt with him in, in a mercifully, graciously, and has forgiven him for all of his <coughs> sins, all of his iniquities. And then he goes on to tell us that not only has God done that in verse 3, that God has healed all his diseases. Now, you know, not just disease, but diseases. You know, there's um, <clears throat> God's blessing to David did not stop with the forgiveness of sin, but God goes on to cure, you know, the, the, you know, the cause, you know, for all of his problem, of his sins, and so on. And, um, you know, you know, as the Bible defines sin, you know, you know, David says that God has um, healed all his diseases that is caused, you know, by sin. Sin is a disease because it kills. Sin is a disease because it destroys. And this is how Isaiah, you know, puts it when he describes, you know, man in, his, um, in, in, in that condition. He says, from the sole of the foot, <laughs> even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and bleeding wounds. Sin has spread to every part of our being. This is why non-Christians can never, never please God by what they do. You can never, never please God by what you do. You see, you can do good works from now till the day that you die. It will not avail you any single benefit because sin has you know, uh, pervaded every part of our faculties and so on, so that everything that you and I touch is tainted by sin. And God, who is holy, cannot accept anything that we bring to him. Impossible. So, you know, good works will not save us. Nothing we do will save us. Because we are, you know, bad by nature. The Bible, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, puts it like this. A bad tree cannot bring forth good fruit. It's not possible. It's not possible. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 3.12, No one is good. No, not one. We are all plagued 
with this disease of sin. Our soul is plagued with disease of sin. But not just the soul, but the body as well. All our ailments, all the all our ailments that plague our bodies, are all you know because of sin. Jesus, by his death on the cross, heals all our diseases, mental, spiritual, and bodily you know, ailments, which is why he is called the physician of the soul. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5, you know, says, He was wounded for our transgressions. <coughs> he was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole. You know, with his stripes, we are healed. That does not mean that um, we will not be ill or we will never suffer any kind of you know, body um, ailments anymore. But what the, you know, the scripture is saying is that um, you know, these things will not get the better of us. You know, sin will not get the better of us. Our illness will not get better of us. Whatever happens to the Christian, you know, illness will not get the better of him. And if Jesus had not healed the disease of our soul, we will have no hope whatsoever and will still face a very dark future. As for the disease of the body, whatever the skills of doctors, you know, anybody will tell you, the doctors will tell you that healing actually comes from God. The doctors know that if they cut this and, you know, um, do this and do that and so on, well, the outcome will be this, but they don't know exactly how it happens. They don't know. Only God, you know, only God heals. So if you're a Christian this morning, I want to ask you, <coughs> do you ever thank God that he gave you a new heart, that he renewed your heart. He took away that heart of stone. He gave you a heart of flesh. He gave you a new life altogether. Do you ever thank God for it? Do you ever pause to think what might have happened to you if you were not a Christian? Do you ever think about that? This man, David, you know, will not take God for granted. He will not take God for granted. He meditates on what God has done for him. And he pours out praise unto God. Pours out praise unto God. What about you? Do you? You should. You should. In verse 4, David continues to tell us about um, all the blessings that God has um, lavished upon him. And in verse 4, he talks about his salvation talks about salvation you know the text says you know who redeems your life from the pit the pit means hell <coughs> it means destruction so David is saying that God has saved him from destruction God has saved him you know from going to hell God delivers us from the pit which is hell because of sin you and I die physically it is because of sin that people die physically. As by one man, sin came into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. The reason that people die is because of sin. It's because of sin. 
But then the Bible tells us that there's another death, far worse than in a physical death, spiritual death. The Bible calls it spiritual death. <clears throat> it is separation from God for all eternity. And that's hell. That's hell. And that's what God has saved us from. That's what David is talking about here. When the Bible says that God has redeemed us from the pit, it refers to the punishment you know, due to sin. Jesus has borne that punishment for us and thereby saved us from hell. The psalmist tells us that the grace and mercy of God averts that punishment for the Christian. Now, I keep using the word Christian. I don't want to give any uh, wrong impression to everyone. This doesn't apply to everyone, but only for those who have seen, only for those who have come to realize that before God that they have sinned, that they are sinners, and they've come and they've repented of their sins, and they are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, then all these things apply. It says in Psalm 49, verse 15, God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. He will receive me. This redemption comes to us at a tremendous cost, the sufferings and the death of Christ. It would be good to pause sometime and meditate on the sufferings of Christ. The sufferings of Christ did not just you know, begin when he was on the cross. No, no. No, no. Right from when he was born, it all started, you know, just after he was born, he was a refugee in Egypt. When he started his ministry, everywhere he turned, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were there. They were always criticizing him. They were always finding fault with everything that he did. That is mental, you know, and torture. And then they you know, forever plotted to kill him. And eventually the time came when our Lord yielded himself to them because he's, you know, he came to die for us. They didn't, um, you know, they didn't, um, <clears throat> they didn't kill him you know, because um, they had power over him. No, our Lord tells us that he came for the purpose of dying. And so we find him in Gethsemane after that time of, you know, agonizing and, um, you know, wrestling, you know, with the, um, with the punishment that is to come to us, the wrath of God. After all that, he yielded himself and they took him and then um, they conveyed this kangaroo court and then they condemned him to death. And after that, we told that the soldiers rained blows on him. They used him as a punch bag. This one will hit him, pass him on to the other one, they will hit him. That's how they treated the Son of God. That's how they treated him. And then we told that they spat in his face. They covered his whole face you know, with spiritual. Can you imagine that? Can anything be more humiliating? Can anything be more humiliating than that? And yet, did all that you know, because of us, because of us. And then he was scourged. To scourge someone, and he had this you know, whip made of leather, and woven into this, into those, um, you know, <coughs> the various strands, the pieces of bones and um, you know, metal, so that when they lash you, you know, just rips apart, 
know, your, you know, in your flesh. Our Lord was scourged. And then they created a crown of thorns and ground it down his head. Now, when we talk about thorns, we're not talking about what you see in your rose bushes. No, in Israel, there's a tree called the Zizifos tree. And it produces thorns that are long. And these thorns are hardened by the Palestinian sun. Imagine they created that and they ran it down his head. Blood gushed out everywhere. There is that, you know, Prophet Isaiah says, you know, he has no beauty that we should, you know, uh, that we should admire him. Our salvation came at a tremendous cost. And then eventually they took him and then they nailed him to the cross. Think about you know, as they nailed him, the spikes, you know, crushing the bones and so on, and, uh, you know, the pain. Can you imagine the agony of it all? And then there's the mental agony that he has to, you know, um, go through as well. All this, you know, for us. All this for you and I. Oh, David says, I will remember, you know, God's benefits to me. I will remember that, you know, God has redeemed my life from the pit. Do you ever think about what it cost God, you know, Christ to save you? You know, it's very easy for us to say, oh, I'm a Christian. You know, I've been saved and so on. But do you know, do you know what has gone on to make you a Christian? Have you thought about what has, you know, what Christ has done, what he's gone through in order to make you, you know, one of his Tremendous agony, tremendous suffering. You and I will never, never understand it. Even when his father turned his face momentarily away from him, oh, that was just, you know, too much. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because of you and I. That's what it costs you and I, to be able to say we are Christians. So every time you, 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 know, you say to yourself, I'm a Christian, I want you to remember that, what it, what it cost for you to be able to say that. And then the psalmist goes on to say in verse 4, that he's crowned you know, his life with steadfast love and mercy. God has done exactly the same for you and I. He's crowned, you know, our lives with steadfast love and mercy. In other words, God has lavished his love and his mercy upon us. <clears throat> this love is described, you know, as a steadfast love. A love that does not change. It's an ongoing love. If you're a Christian, God will not love you more tomorrow than he loves you today. You know, God's love is steadfast. God's love is steadfast. Despite what we are, despite our sinfulness and our constant backsliding, God goes on loving us and showing mercy towards us. <clears throat> Think about how patient God has been with you. Think about the number of times that you've stumbled and he's had to pick you up and, you know, uh, you know, for, you know, for you to carry on. Think about the number of times that you've veered off the road and it's brought you back on that road. Think about all those things. Do you ever thank God for his love? Or do you take it for granted? You take it for granted. David praised God for his love. He didn't 
take it for granted. He remembered. He remembered. So should we. So should we. And then in verse 5, he says that he satisfies his mouth with good things so that his youth is renewed like the eagle. See, the non-Christian, you know, may, may be full, but is never satisfied. The non-Christian will be full, but is never satisfied. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and verse 7 says, All the toil of man is for his mouth, and yet his appetite is not satisfied. The Christian, on the other hand, you know, is filled and is satisfied because God satisfies him. In Psalm 145, it says, you know, all looks to God and God provides and God satisfies them. But a non-Christian is never, never satisfied. It doesn't matter what he has, he's never satisfied. I was told that um, Abramovich, the owner of Chelsea Football Club, he's got in how many yachts? Two, three, four? You know, 200 million, you know, the cost and so on. And I'm asking, why? What for? What for? He's got three, four houses also in London. All. He's got one flat that costs 117 million pounds. I mean, what, what, what for? What's all that for? Why? He will never be satisfied. We can give him everything that, you know, he ever wants, he will never, never be satisfied because God has not created us to be satisfied with things. We are to find our satisfaction in Christ. It's in Christ. The poor man knows Christ and yet he's satisfied. His mind is at rest. He's not yearning for this, that, and the other. No. No. No, he's satisfied in Christ. God has promised us that um, he will meet all of our needs all of our needs we don't need to go chasing after this, that and the other he says he will meet our needs and he does meet our needs no matter what those needs are my God says shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, when, when God says, I will supply all your needs, he meant all your needs, no matter what they are. No matter what they are, God will provide it. I didn't say he will supply all your wants, but all your needs he will provide. Now, there are some Christians that feel that, well, there are certain things that I cannot trouble God with. That is wrong. That is wrong. If you have a need, it might, might be small to you, but God is interested. Bring it to God. Bring it to God. If you have a very big need, bring it to God. Some people think, oh, you know, you know, it's just I can't, I can't ask God for this. Now, my friend, if you say need, if you say need. God will meet that need. <coughs> a few years ago, when I first started with the mission, and I was um, going all over the place preaching, 
I have this car that um, had the habit of breaking down whenever I'm going out to preach. And um, I, don't, I, didn't have enough, I didn't have money to buy another car. And I said to the Lord, well, you promised that you meet all of my needs. I do have a need for another car because this car is not doing me any good and so on. And um, about three, or three days or so later, a phone call came. Somebody says, I've just been given a company car. Um, I want to give my car away. Do you know what? I was there before he finished speaking. <laughs> God will meet all of our needs. Never think, never think that something is too big for God. That would be insulting to God. And don't think that something is too small for God. No. God says he will meet all of our needs. And you know, we will be satisfied with whatever God you know, gives to us. Those needs actually extend beyond just um, you know, what we eat and so on. Good things, not rich things, not um, great things, not what we ask for, no, but you know, good things. All the needs supplied. It covers you know, things like you know, nourishment and sustenance and um, you know, our comfort and so on. You know, there are physical benefits, you know, that, um, you know, God, you know, meets and um, so on, like food and home, clothing and our health. There are social benefits like our families and friends and so on. You know, all of our needs, you know, God, you know, meets. How grateful are you for those things that God does for you? You ever think about them? And then lastly, he talks about our youth is renewed like the eagles, which is very true. Youth renewed like the eagles. Now, you see, the, every year at molten time, the eagle sheds its feathers and its quills, and then new ones grow. And because of that, the eagles outlive a lot of birds. That's exactly what God does for us. That's exactly what God does for us. You know, God, you know, renews us and fills us with new life. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, though our outer, you know, nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. This body is packing up gradually. This tent, one day, will fold up, but thank God, What's inside is just getting better and better every day. You know. So let's not worry about getting old and things like that. You know, our concern to make is to be to make sure that you know we're working with God. And so that's all that we need. For Christians, our body may grow old and frail, but nevertheless, as we walk with God, they are renewed and we are made stronger. <clears throat> and so, you know, we are to remember all the blessings and give thanks and praise to God for them. The psalmist says, forget not. Forget not all his benefits. It's a simple and yet in a very serious thing. We have a tendency you know, to forget. We have a tendency to take for granted you know, these things until we are without them. And then we realize how important they are. We are not to take them for granted. We are to thank God 
you know, for all the things that he does for us. If you take our health, for example, we take that for granted sometimes until something happens, and then all of a sudden, you know, we realize that um, you know God, you know, um, has been good to us. When Jesus healed ten lepers, only one came back to give thanks, and the Lord said to him, "Where are the other nine? You did not see it fit to come back and give thanks to God. May God help us so that you and I." like the one that came back and not like the other nine. May God bless his word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.